Hey, I'm Sean. And I'm Jesse. And, and we're, we're the, the DMs, DMs of Vancouver. Vancouver. We're two newish DMs who are still getting the hang of the whole DM thing. So we sit down with a friend every couple of weeks and pick their brain on their approach to DMing. So come along as we figure out how to help our players have the best time possible at the gaming table. Hey folks, uh, today we're going to be talking about finding inspiration online or just out in the world somewhere in a book, a movie, whatever, and turning that into a game. Today we're talking to Angela Christie, uh, a good friend of mine and Sean's. Uh, Angela, how's it going? Good, good. Glad to be here. Uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Um, like how long you've been playing, how long you've been DMing, type of games you like to run, stuff like that? Uh, well, um, I've been playing D&D for over 10 years now, um, mostly with one group with some gaps. I have run three games? Four games. One per edition and one extra in fifth. And uh, I like to run strange things that cross my mind. I like to come up with weird ideas, and that is what I'm going to be talking to you guys about on the podcast. I've been the recipient of some of those ideas just as a sounding board in the past, which is always fun. Being a part, like, being a part of anybody's creative process, especially when it's something fun and weird, is enjoyable. So tell us a bit about uh, where you find inspiration and how you kind of develop it. Well, first off, a lot of people think that inspiration is something that comes from the blue. It's something that just happens to you. You're in the right place at the right time and it happens and it's perfect and the idea is going to be fully formed and you're never going to have to change it or edit it or, or anything like that. Like it's a sudden eureka moment and yeah. suddenly you've got this fully formed campaign in your head. Exactly, yeah. Or you've, you know, you've got this story and that's it. This is the whole outline for your novel. And that's not true. Inspiration is something that you teach yourself to do. Uh, it's something that you teach yourself to find in things. Um, by looking at things and playing with them and sort of thinking, how would that work in my game? How how would my players interact with that? How would that be um, present in my world? So let's just dive into examples and like play around with them and like kind of show how when you find something, how you can take that or ideas from what you found and turn it into a campaign because we're talking about D&D or other stuff if you're looking for story ideas. Sure, yeah. I think there's a number of different places that I like to pull from. So if we kind of go through them uh, piece by piece and pull up some inspiration from all three of us and play with some of the ideas we get. So first off, of course, is everybody's standard books, movies, TV shows, video games. Um, you know, everybody cribs from media. There's nothing wrong with it. If if you're, as long as you're not plagiarizing outright, um, if you're putting your own stamp on it and thinking about it, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And it can turn into some really interesting, fun games. I think the, the best reason I can think of not to just plagiarize directly is that most of the media that we consume deals with a protagonist. And if you try to crib directly, you run the risk of turning a single player into the one that gets all the spotlight. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's also more fun to see it slowly dawn on your players that you might be referencing something big if they're familiar with it than just you saying, this is a thing and it's Reinhardt's shield from Overwatch. Yeah. And you're like, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you don't want to have, you know, your first session be all about one player and at the end it's like, you're a wizard. It's like, oh, we're, I don't want to do Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> I also think it becomes a little bit obvious um, and your players will know what's going to happen next. Like as an example, I've been thinking about doing uh, something based on Mad Max Fury Road. So you have PCs escape from the stronghold of the madman. They exit across, you know, a dangerous territory, whether it's, you can have it be desert, you can have it be jungle, even an open ocean. And pursued by agents of the madman 
and then they get somewhere. And the place they get to is how you can differentiate yourself from Mad Max. So in Mad Max, they got to where they were going and they had to turn around, but you could do something entirely different and, and have them have a stronghold there that they reach. And now they have to withstand a siege from outside forces. Yeah, you can go from Mad Max to Helm's Deep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can add a little bit or remix a little bit to give yourself a little bit more interest because the players will be sort of expecting, oh, this is Fury Road, so we're going to get there and we're going to turn around. And you go, actually, this is something totally different. Yeah, because I think that's where the, the fun is, 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 you know, when the players kind of expect something to happen and you being able to play with those expectations, that's what makes it, it memorable when you're cribbing from other sources is like, oh, we were expecting this and then this crazy thing happened. Yeah. So it's a good jumping off place, but then you can make it your own. So I know you and actually I think several members of the group we played in for a long time uh, tend to pull inspiration from music. You did uh, some stuff based on Lake Train by Ludo. I did. Uh, Ray did something from Gym Class Heroes, if I recall. I wasn't in that game. I, I, was I don't think time. I was either. It was the epic game? It doesn't matter. No. Um, I don't remember <laughs> that. I don't remember that being from a song. I just remember that being having a painful end. Mm-hmm. And, and listeners, if you know nothing about music and this is all going over your head, I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, so I've taken a few short quotes from like about three songs. Uh, how about you take a look and pick one that you might be able to like kind of roll around and see how you would develop it? Sure. And I mean, we can all do that together. That's kind of the idea yeah. here. And we'll be posting all of this stuff in the show notes. Probably on the, you'll be able to find it on the website. The show notes, I'm not sure that trying to stuff that into the thing that shows up on Google Play or iTunes is going to work very well, but it'll be all be on on the website just because we're also gonna be talking about images and stuff like that too so i mean these are all pretty interesting i would almost want to take them all together let's do it and flip them so okay so should i read the quotes out or? yeah go ahead okay so the first quote is from skeletons on parade and it goes what a lovely lovely night for a drink and a parade we'll dance until the morning light this town should be afraid uh, the second is from A Message for the Angels, Part 2, Brainless God. You can bet we'll shake these gates until they fall. And the third one is Rum Brave. I heard tell of a place where the dead walk tall and proud. That so, last one immediately gave me ideas for the world that I've got going. Right? So what it makes me think of is, is instead of the PCs being the ones who are besieged, have them being the ones doing siege of this place where the dead walk tall and proud. And... Maybe the PCs aren't necessarily super the good guys here. Like these dead guys can be a little bit morally gray rather than just evil. See, the idea that occurred to me was when you when you're talking about the place for the dead walk brave and tall is that it's a campaign where the players are undead, mm. and that shake the gates down thing makes me think of and they're leading a rebellion because this is a place where the dead are slaves Mm, okay i like that i like that that's good yeah so you get an interesting inversion of the undead aren't the they aren't the villains here um which actually reminds me of a book that i read called necroville where like it's a science fiction book but the idea was that you you would when you died you got resurrected but it costs so much money that they put you into indentured servitude for however many you know decades and you'd have to work your debt off before you could be free and it just sort of makes me think of that you know like when you die in this city it's okay they bring you back but they bring you back as somebody's servant and now the pcs are these former you know this adventuring party who maybe died there fighting something else and they had no idea about it and then they wake up and they're like all right well surprise you're our pets now and and that could be really cool because you could even start the campaign off with that fight that they're built to lose and then go from there 
Or narrate it, maybe, instead I, of... I think narrate it, because there's nothing that sucks more as a player than playing a fight. fight. <laughs> well, playing a fight that you're meant to lose. Yeah. And then, you know, getting that, okay, you died, but everybody wakes up again. Like, you should just say, you know, you open your eyes, you remember pain. I'd say in a system like D&D, you definitely have to narrate it. There are other systems that it might work a little bit better. Like, you could maybe lean on the horror aspect of, of this scenario by running it in Eclipse Phase, which is a set in the future. And, yeah, you can swap bodies and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, waking up in a new body isn't isn't unusual. But, like, no, now you're out on a colony somewhere and you're slaves. But, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so we have this idea now. How would you develop it further? Well, I mean, you have to ask yourself questions about what kind of world that this place lives in. So where is this city of the dead? Is it just the one city or is it a whole country where they do this? Like how great is the reach of this power? Is it, uh, you know, a tiny little fortress nestled in the mountains where, you know, King Frankenstein is in charge? Or is this like the whole city, the whole country openly does this and, you know, their neighbors are kind of like, well, that's a bit icky, but I guess... Or is this something like this is the state of the world and the players, the characters would have known about this, but never thought that it would happen to them? Exactly. Yeah. Is this a whole everywhere in the world does this or is this something new? They were sent to, you know, Castle Frankenstein and all of a sudden they've woken up and they're like, hold on, we didn't sign up for this. Yeah. Or yeah, is this an inevitable reality that they never expected? So then based on which of those you you go with, you're going to get a different feel for your world. So if you get... If you sort of go with this is unexpected and hidden, it's going to come across a little more, you know, it's creepy. It's a little more horrifying. They feel more powerless because they didn't anticipate it. Whereas if you go with a system where this is meant to happen, you just didn't expect it to happen to you. The PCs are, it's kind of like, wow, you guys are arrogant. You didn't expect this to happen to you. Yeah. And so something else that you could do is, is play it as like they've been sent as diplomats or something they're protecting a diplomat and you know you spend the first couple of sessions of them as alive and all that and then something happens a few sessions in so they kind of feel that hit a little bit harder of just like no this is unjust but it's like no this is the way things are here like sorry Mm. but like that might be a little bit trickier to pull off without your players going well we're not playing anymore (laughs) yeah yeah i think that one would be a one that would be kind of a a frustrating situation for your players so i would just boot them straight into it like all right you guys are undead start a rebellion go i like the idea that they know about it but didn't expect it would happen to them until like later and like because then you can set it up that like the kind of what happens in the city is before people die they like figure out who their owner would be or something like that Mm. if they're slaves like yeah and see that's a good question to ask yourself what's the structure who owns everybody? Is it everybody? Is it just the king that owns everyone and then he leases out the slaves? Is it the nobles who own the slaves and then, you know, they bid on you when you die? Like, there's a whole... Is it, like, instead of a debtor's prison, it's like, we just wait till you die and then we get your, it... your labor afterwards. So it's a debtor prison? <laughs> <laughs> womp, womp. That was bad. I'm fired. So... So, I mean, you can see just there, just by spitballing for five minutes, we've come up with a whole range of possibilities. And we did something, and I don't really have a name for it, but that I really enjoy doing is where you, you take the premise and then you look at it from one direction, and then you go back to the beginning and look at it from another direction, and you get two totally different campaigns out of that. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that I've found both as being kind of the recipient and being the person doing it, is that it's that's the time when it's super useful to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. Even if even if they don't the person doesn't contribute a lot, even if you're just like 
it's something in programming called rubber ducking. Yes. It's, just the, it's the idea of just talking to somebody because talking out loud yep. forces you to think a different way. It does. So even if you have somebody, a friend that doesn't play D&D, which might be better sometimes to just talk about this piece of inspiration that you found and this idea that's germinating in your head, yeah. being able to bounce ideas off of somebody can show you like, oh, I need to think about this when I you know, actually start planning stuff. Mm-hmm. Or, or what about this? This is cooler. Or it, you might get some ideas back that send you in that different direction. Yeah. Something I like about talking to non-tabletop players is that they don't really have... Uh, they don't suffer from the same preconceived notions that a lot of tabletoppers do. You know, you say orc and everyone's like, okay, evil people, they worship grumps, yada, yada. Whereas you can sort of tell a little story to someone who doesn't play and they'll kind of go, oh, well, that's neat. Well, what if the witch was actually really nice? Or, you know, they'll say something that's like comes totally out of left field because they have no knowledge of, of how the system works. And sometimes you get really weird, interesting ideas from that because you're like, yes, what if the witch was nice? Yeah, because especially if you have to try and explain something in terms of references that that person understands. Yeah. Like, when you try to explain that, like, oh, like, these orcs, like, they're more of a tribal structure, and then, like, you boil it down to, they're Vikings. Oh, okay, cool. Like, that gives you more ideas suddenly. Yeah, because then you might choose to follow that garden path and be like, well, if they're Vikings, are these orcs actually really well-groomed because the Vikings were really well-groomed? So you could sort of follow that and go, okay, I'm going to take more inspiration from the Vikings. Yeah, and are they, like, actual historic Vikings or, like, the bastardized pop culture Vikings that we know? I want fancy dapper orcs in a campaign now. Yep, yeah. One of the things I've been turning over in my head is uh, orc intellectuals and, like, what kind of world has orc intellectuals? And I feel like fancy dapper orc intellectuals could be really cool. Yeah, like D&D set in the Victorian age where, like, the big thinkers are the orcs. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I have this concept running where... In a world where orcs aren't automatically evil, because I find that super boring, they're not always necessarily evil, but they have a thing where they want to be the best because Grumsh wants them to be the best. So each individual orc wants to be the best orc, but not everybody can be the best hunter or the best whatever. So they get super into academia because you can carve out these little tiny niche specialties. You may not be the best at orc biology, but you might be the best orc at manticore biology, specifically manticores of the southern reaches. Or, like, yeah, just, you know, look at how niche just science is today. Like, yeah. you know, we, we look at doctors. Like, you know, if you walk into a, a surgery room, there isn't a whole bunch of people who are equally good at everything. You mm-hmm. have the anesthesiologist. You have nurses. You yeah. have, like, the brain surgeon, the knee surgeon, the ear surgeon, yeah. like, all this kind of stuff. So that could be really interesting. Yeah. And then you have a bunch of orcs all specializing in these different, like, these narrowly specialized but highly related fields and like hiring adventurers to go help them in the field or to sabotage their opponents because they're they're intellectuals but they're not above doing that you know so it's like okay go over to that guy's camp and smash all his equipment or i like this world where you potentially have a high number of like indiana jones type specialists because they're all also still orcs yeah so they're all, yeah. So all of them with their various battle cries of, this belongs in my museum. <laughs> totally, yeah. Like, Fogrumsh! Okay, so Orc Intellectuals kind of takes us nicely into another thing you wanted to talk about, yes. which is uh, using weird opposites to kind of make unexpected creatures or NPCs or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and um, you had one you wanted to talk about specifically. 
That was the one, actually. It was Orphan Delectuals. I thought it was Library Assassins. Oh, that too. I forgot <laughs> about it. Um, but yeah, so I, I sort of have a thing for taking two concepts that don't really go together, smashing them together, and then forcing myself to work backwards to explain it. And I started doing it when I developed a character named Berber, who was a dwarf wild magic sorcerer. And she was just like the sweetest little dumpling of a dwarf and she just all she wanted to do was be normal and she couldn't because she had these crazy wild magic powers and so the whole crux of her character was this conflict between I can do weird stuff with my mind and summon unicorns and make things happen but really all I would like to do would be to go back to mining and, and be boring so ever since then I've sort of had a thing for smashing strange concepts together and that worked out really well and then yeah. it created a lot of interesting role play at the table too we had a character I don't know if you know this uh, one of the players came to me and was like, okay, you know, obviously I don't want to break with the party, but my character thinks Berber is dangerous yeah. because wild magic is incredibly I think dangerous. Was scared, wasn't it was Ray, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and he's like, so, like, I need a reason for my character to still work with the party because I don't want him to leave. Yeah. And so we worked out this thing where the head of the academy that you all worked for gave him basically a, like, like a prisoner necklace mm. thing to strap around Berber if her powers ever went out of control. Right. And that's something that I, I've read a couple of places online of people who are just tired of the standard culture types that you see coming out of D&D, &D, you know, dwarfs are miners and elves live in forests and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, all the races have a weird monoculture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, in the campaign that I'm running right now, I've tried to turn that on its head a little bit. Like dwarves used to be the great miners, but they all decided to go and be sailors once the age of sail happened. Mm. And the elves are actually master stonemasons and yes. like little things like that. And yeah. because if it's your first game, it's fine. If it's your first couple of games, you're kind of still getting used to the rules and stuff yeah. like that. And, or if you're running modules, but if you are home brewing your own campaigns from scratch, then take the chance, like the opportunity to do something different and weird. Like, because those are the little touches that people will remember years down the road. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, remember when we ran into those those elves who had like lived in this giant stone town that was intricately carved or whatever? Yeah. Well, and like if you there's something that you think is kind of dumb about a setting, some the kind of base setting. Like if you think it's dumb that all hobgoblins are generally evil because they're all and, and like all warlike, even though they're intelligent creatures. Yeah. Change it. Yeah. <laughs> it's your game. Yeah. Turn it into it's just, it's like, that's all propaganda and they're actually a whole culture. Yeah. See, and there's a great idea. Like, steal that from anything, really. Yeah. You, have, you know, you have a, this little conversation and there's a whole idea for a campaign. What if hobgoblins are, aren't evil? That's just propaganda put together by... The other major races. Yeah, exactly. Like, the elves decided that they really hated them, so this is just a lie that the elves have been propagating for years. Yeah. Um, I've always actually wanted to play a game where elves are, like, completely evil. Absolutely awful. It just I just can't see how a race that lives to be, like, 700 years old could treat humans and halflings equally. Yeah. One of my favorite ideas that I saw online uh, was somebody trying to make the elves a, not evil, but, like, kind of leaning on that fae thing was that in his world all the elves wore masks <gasps> yes. and the reason for it yep. was that yes. if you yep. saw an elf's face mm -hmm. uh i can't remember the the one that i saw online was i think mm -hmm. that like it was just so enchantingly beautiful mm -hmm. that like you just immediately fell you lost your will to do anything except love that elf oh uh, okay the one i saw was um all elven faces are beautiful and perfect but they're perfect so there's only six faces that are perfect right yeah and that was what it was that so was elves the one, yeah. all wear masks because otherwise <laughs> you all look like each other so that's how they tell each other apart is they wear these masks 
And I, I think I remember something where it's like somebody added on like, and they're like very distinctly not human. Like they have, I, I can't remember, it, was in a, it might have been a book or something mm. that I read where the elves, oh, it was in the uh, book series that Terry Pratchett did with Stephen Baxter, uh, Long Earth, mm. where the idea is basically that like there's an infinite number of parallel Earths and like the further away you get from our Earth, like the, the like weirder thing, like things further back in history have changed. Yeah, and yeah. one of the things is that there are like, the reason why we have myths about elves is because that's a species of human that gained the ability to just naturally jump between these parallel earths and they're terrifying like they've got like roundish lamprey like mouths mm-hmm. and and like i like that idea of like looking back at at you know uh, we did a episode a while back on getting inspiration from history but also getting inspiration from myths is like what if those things actually existed and they were actually just like terrifying and the reason why we have all these stories is that like we had to protect ourselves mm. i've always been interested and this comes from the elf example too of taking elves because there are a bunch of different subtypes like even outside of there's handbook there are additional ones yeah and, like how you make them more different from each other mm-hmm. because at the end of the day it's usually like one is slightly better at hiding yeah one is better at magic so i had this idea and i didn't spread it across all i only really got one for wild elves and be like okay well wild elves are essentially like shifters where they like they have sharp teeth and they have claws and they will like hunt you like pack animals if you yeah. come into their territory yeah they're very territorial and like you know maybe get rid of the weapons that they have and like have natural weapons yeah again claws teeth and stuff like that yeah just as a way to i mean one surprise your players when they encounter them yeah but two like make them more interesting than just the less magic elves yeah, yeah. so we've been talking a lot about larger campaign scope ideas i got some stuff from the scp foundation which i'll explain in a second for people who don't know but i think that some of the stuff that i found is better suited for Getting ideas, like talking about getting ideas for an item or a single encounter or a single location. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, the SCP Foundation basically started as a wiki for collecting creepypasta. Somebody comes up with a, you know, intensely creepy story that ends up online somewhere that's, it's meant to be one of those, you know, you read it and you have trouble getting to sleep that night, but then the next morning you wake up and you forget you forget all about it. It's become a, the wiki has grown, it's become a place of just some amazing fictional work. And the thing about it is it's all set in the real, well, quote unquote, the real world. So like the first one that I found, I basically chose the, the top three of the highest voted ones on the site because there's so much good stuff on there, seriously. The first one I found is called scp blank dash j and the special containment procedures are it's in a box in my office description it's a rock that makes you procrastinate addendum probably mimetic or something and then at the bottom there's a quote from the scientist who wrote this up i'll finish writing this up later so because one of the things i see online fairly often is people looking for magic items Mm. that don't really give bonuses they give flavor yeah and i think that like something like this you could use to be like it might be a little bit dangerous to give to 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 characters be like you have to make a a wisdom save or you're just gonna you know fuck off and go have a nap Mm. but yeah i just thought that this one was interesting and you know then they might weaponize it once they get rid of its grasp which could be interesting something like that could be neat as there's there's a website out there that has a whole bunch of magic items that are like basically magic items that are better than nothing um (laughs) and it's great i I think i've seen that one yeah yeah. and it's like the book of cats came from no that came from somewhere else that i can't remember off the top of my head but it's magic items that are either like super specific in use 
or they're really great, but they have a really terrible drawback. So your players kind of have to figure like, okay, do I want the plus one sword that also makes me procrastinate? Or the ones on the site are obviously better than that. But I think something like that, the procrastinating stone could be really good as a magic item that's better than nothing. You know, like it's, it's a plus two luck stone, but it also makes you really lazy. So yeah. Um, the next one I found, uh, it's called SCP-087. And this is a location. It's basically a staircase uh, in an old, I don't know, it doesn't quite say, it's like a hospital or an old warehouse or something. And it's basically an infinite stairway. It just keeps going down and down and mm. down and down. And it's dark. And the creepy thing about it is that after a certain point, you start hearing what sounds like a crying child. Mm. And if you keep going down, then eventually like you start to feel intense paranoia and fear. And some of the, the they have additional documents of like uh, reports of like somebody transcribing a video. Mm. And the last one ends with them seeing a strange figure and they come around a corner and there's a strange figure and they look away and they look back, it's gone. And they go down a few more flights of stairs and sticks around for longer until eventually something happens mm. with this strange figure and this basically prisoner that they had sent down but like that idea of just a weird eldritch location that just keeps going down and it's just subtly creepy to start with and you slowly build on that yeah i think the only problem with that is like you have to introduce an element of player agency there yeah so you know if you just continue to describe okay you keep walking down there's a weird noise you keep walking down there's a weird noise your players are going to get frustrated by that fairly quickly so i think what you want to do is include some kind of element of choice like you know whether it's two branching staircases yeah the idea what i had was that like you turn it into something that every few levels there's like some rooms to explore mm. and something like that like that oh like have it keep showing up either, yeah either the okay. same set of rooms or um what is it there's like some of the the ghost houses in super mario brothers uh, the oh, first yeah, 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 yeah. where like you have to do things in a specific order to get to the next room see and that would be cool if you had this you know you come down off the staircase and there's like a set of rooms and you, your players go through them and then you go out onto the staircase and you can describe it as being really similar to the previous staircase and you can keep doing that this one's really similar to the previous staircase and it's always the same one until they do a certain you know figure out a certain clue yeah like it could be the some wizard has like he doesn't have a mat he doesn't have a tower he has an underground an underground layer and this is his magical lock yeah exactly like you have to prove yourself to get in or this is the test put here by a god or you know you've been cursed by an angry fae or something like that yeah Yeah. see i like the idea of the staircase keeping showing up in random dungeons and having the players be able to turn around and leave. But, like, Mm. having it be a repeating thing throughout the campaign Mm. until the players are either just always like, nope, 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 or keep going down until they figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah, Yeah, it's like some kind of bonus room almost that they keep running into. And have it be like, once they come back upstairs, they turn around and the staircase is different. It's what the staircase physically actually is in that area. So, like, once they leave, they can't go back down to try and figure out what it is yeah. but it'll show up again sometime yeah yeah and the monsters there are always like way high, like way over leveled but if they can get through it there's like you know something neat at the bottom to keep encouraging them to actually do it yeah yeah it reminds me basically of the campaign that i ran in eclipse phase where basically the players i've spoiled this before they didn't finish this campaign but <laughs> the players didn't know but they were actually stuck inside a simulation mm. And I kept referencing the red exit, like fire exit door from the very first place they woke up in. Oh, okay. And basically the idea was that if they had gone through that door, 
they would have ended up in extra bodies that because their actual real selves had been trying to hack into this simulation run by a remnant of a remnant of a remnant of a crazy AI. Right. And they would have been able to rescue themselves and then they would have had like a real world battle with this mm. AI versus an completely unwinnable until they finally take the exit door right. fight. So yeah, um, that's one idea. The last one is a creature-based one. The title is basically just a bunch of dots because the idea behind this this creature, this SCP thing, is that it took me a while to understand what was going on because the entire article is just pictures. Okay. And the idea is is that you can reference this creature by images only. Oh. If you use you can't use text because if you write down in words what it is, it will appear and take that text. Oh, okay. If you talk about it in words, it will show up and take you. Right. Because okay. um, that's what this last little bit here is where it shows, you know, we, we showed him pictures of what it is and then the thing shows up and took the paper. Right. And then this one here, we showed him the like pictures, a... told him to tell us, it showed up and took him. Right. So, yeah, they're conducting weird experiments on it. Yeah. So, like, the idea of... I like the idea of this of, like, taking a creature from... The monster manual or the Tome of Beasts, like especially a fae creature mm. where there's like there's rumors of people being abducted or something. Mm-hmm. And they have to figure out that to summon it, they have to like get a good description and write it down. Like they have to track down like all of these witness statements or something that like somebody saw something out of the corner of their eye. Like somebody just saw the hat of like take like maybe yeah. it's like the red cap or something like somebody yeah. just saw the hat somebody saw the ears somebody saw the general vague outline because it was in darkness or something yeah you know what you have to have planned if you do that though what happens when one character describes the creature and is whisked off there would have to be something that some kind of like release valve so that this if this thing shows up it's not like this scp thing where it'll just like grab them and poof they're gone right. it like that would be like the encounter whether they meant it to be or not like if they accidentally like some like they're just sitting around in their you know in the bar planning it's yeah, like their jammies. yeah they're just you know they're before they go to bed like nowhere near their weapons and they're yeah. just like okay so it's a small elf like creature that's got a red hat and wears this glove and blah 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 and it's like and you feel a presence behind you it's like mm. oh damn you'd have to like really explicitly tie it to the identifying features like as soon as they said the words like red hat or like little sickle you'd have to say you feel a presence behind you like immediately you know or like you fall on the ground because your chair's been cut in two yeah like that you you have to dive right in yeah it can't be like candle jack where just all of a sudden i think red cap might be too obvious if only because how do you describe a red hat <laughs> yeah that's why like i just used the red cap as an example yeah. there are probably some like much more interesting things in the tome of beasts Anothic. i don't know though, I feel like might be interesting oh yeah they steal secrets yeah. I feel like your players could, you, you develop this whole visual language. Okay, the thing with the, and they, you know, make a little hat gesture. Or you just wear a red hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like you could get some good mileage out of that. Speaking of creatures that you can get mileage out of, I always wanted to put a Snorlax in a game. Legitimately, <laughs> seriously. Oh, I like, could see how that would work. Right? Like your PCs are like first or second level. They're getting, like, they're hired by a merchant to, like, get this goods from, you know, point A to point B. And they're fucking off down the road and there's just a fat piece of crap just laying (laughs) on the road and it won't move and if you really wanted to go classic if you had someone seeing it'll wake up and trundle away or wake up and then you fight it but you could have it be it belongs to somebody and that person is a bandit and they've they've they're not going to come down and collect their toll 
Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I like the idea, too, that if your party has a bard and the bard sings to it, it just starts following the bard around for a couple of sessions. That could be interesting. Yeah. Kind of like the Grey Render of old. It it depends on the players because, like, you know, if it it depends on how you play. Like, if you want it to be the Snorlax or you want to use something else. Because if it's just, like, a a troll that was raised by a farmer and, like, then the farmer's like, no, fuck off. Like, if it's, it's just this weepy troll that gets angry when you ignore it, like, you... It yeah, it depends depend- how close you want the reference to be to Snorlax versus to a D&D monster. Yeah. We've talked a bit about sources of inspiration. Yeah. What are some questions that people have to ask themselves when they're trying to adapt it? Instead of just, you know, taking and go, I'm going to do this just like this without thinking about it. Because you need to think about these ideas to get them to actually, you know, work mechanically or from a player perspective. And we've talked about that a bit. But Yeah. I would say, I mean, you always want to start with your, your 5W questions. Um, you know, who, what, when, where, why, and you've also got how. But in terms of who lives here, if it's a place, who is this, if it's an NPC, who is causing the situation, if there's, you know, some kind of situation, who's behind all this, what is going on, you know, what created this, um, how is it happening, why is it happening, where... You know, so just ask yourself a bunch of different questions. It's easier to show when you're actually picking something over. But, you know, ask yourself what kind of world this lives in. Um, we were doing a little bit of earlier when we were talking about the, the Frankenstein castle a bit. Yeah. Um, or the, I don't know what The village call of the, it. with yeah. the dead slaves. The village of the damned. I don't know. So, I, this this may seem obvious, but why, why ask yourself these questions? Because it forces you to answer them. And then you have to think about it. Um, and, and as Sean was saying earlier, talking out loud, doing the rubber ducky thing is hugely valuable. Um, you can ask yourself, what caused that? Like, I'm just looking at the picture that you have up on the laptop right now, which is like a staircase into a glowing door. So, I mean, you know, the obvious question is, where is that? And where does it go? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is that someplace the players need to get to? Is it something they're trying to prevent the villain from controlling? And and one of the things that I especially like about any source of inspiration, really, (laughs) is that you can use as much of or as little of Mm -hmm. that thing as you want. Because, like, for example, this image is, like, there's a staircase that comes up and a little bit to the right, and it leads into this blue glowing golden door thing but off to the left there's just some like wooden ladders and there's some like dim columns and is this a doorway to another plane in some lost dwarven mine or do you just want to use this like weird glowing door as something in the big bad guys lair yeah pick that up and put it elsewhere it doesn't have to be in a cave yeah and i think that's important too to consider when you're doing when you're picking up inspiration from things is it's okay to shave off things that don't work for you um you know if you want to lift as I said earlier, the whole plot of Mad Max, but the idea of putting it in a desert doesn't work for you, that's okay. Just, you know, shave that off and go for a jungle instead or, you know, an Arctic tundra. Like, Wind Waker d- plus Mad Max. Yeah, totally. But imagine that, right? Like you're you're fleeing in your pirate ship and you're being pursued by a bunch of dudes in like other pirate ships. Yeah. Yeah. I think you gave it a lot of mileage out of that. The thing I like about using images as inspiration is depending how much you shave off them or not, it's also great to have the visual aid mm-hmm. must be like you see this yeah and it's it's funny because it's funny that you mentioned that because i found an image uh while i was looking for stuff for this mm. and if i can find it then we can talk about it because basically here it is basically way back in like shortly after high school i had an idea the idea was just a castle on a hill above a city 
completely encased in ice. Mm. And that idea has kind of been bouncing around my head for a while. And like I've slowly added to it over the years. And it turned into the the gem of the campaign that I'm running. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if back then I saw an image or anything, but searching I found this. And I kind of want to modify the idea of... Luckily, the players haven't gotten to this point yet, but I kind mm-hmm. of want to modify part of the campaign to use this image because it's kind of almost perfectly what was in my head. Mm, that's cool. That's satisfying. Yeah. The the other thing about images or that you can use them for is I, I've decided to do this the next time I try running is I'm going to start casting my NPCs. Mm. So either finding an actor or a singer or just like a random fantasy picture and being like, you know, you encounter this character, describe them, and then they look like this. Just to so the players get uh, a, a bit more of a connection to that instead of just being like, you encounter a dwarf who yeah. has red hair and a helmet. Yeah, and you can do that the other way around too. Like you can find images and then like spend some time, look at that image, especially if it's an important NPC. Mm-hmm. Either cast them first and then find an image or find an image and then go, okay, who would be voice acting this? Yeah, because that can that can help too. Because sometimes, like you've got a you know you found a picture of somebody and you're like, yeah, that's Daniel Craig. You know, or you you, you picture somebody's voice, which can also help you when you're doing that character because like you can use some mannerisms. Like maybe you use a mishmash of like if you're casting, you can use previous roles to create like take little aspects to create how they emote and how they like the. Stuff that you can do to, like, you know, use your body to help tell a story, like, when you're body language. Yeah, you're building a character based on Brad Pitt. He's always eating. Yeah. And the other thing I like about images is I've got another one here, is that you can find some stuff that it just looks really cool. Yeah. But then trying to figure out a story for it sometimes can be like, I don't. I don't know why this. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be fun to just have something that you can show the players and like even you don't know what it is and your players can help come up with ideas even if they don't know that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Which like if it's if it's not an important thing then like I think that can work. If it's in like the capital city and you have an image like this mountain that's apparently been carved down into a giant temple temple mystical sigil thing sigil Single. Uh, I think the one problem with that idea, Sean, is that's likely to fall victim to the the kind of standard thing where you're like, this is a throwaway thing, and then the players are only interested in it. Yep, they're going to eat it, and then that's all they're going to want to eat, and you're like, can we not? Yeah, I think it might work better in, like, high fantasy games or other systems where, like, everything is wondrous. I do think there should be more inexplicable wondrous things, like... I honestly do think there should be more stuff just like, all right, you guys are tooling on down the road, and of course you're passing by, you know, Dragon Gate Mountain, which is a mountain that was carved into a dragon in days of yore, and that's not where you're going, though, so you're going to carry on. Yeah, like, it's like the like the, the statue of Ozymandias thing. Like, yeah. the idea of there was an empire here, and they built wondrous things, but this is the only thing left, and yeah. nobody knows the story, Yeah, and I'm not going to tell it to you. Yeah. Like, you don't know the story, and that's not the point of this campaign. The point of this campaign is go down that road and, you know, find Snorlax. And the best part, too, is if you put those things in there earlier and the players express interest in it, you're like, okay, next adventure arc that I don't have prepared, we're going to go to Dragonstone Mountain. Yeah, and you can totally do that. You can definitely build flavor into your game for you to pick up later, which is always fun. I kind of want to go back to another source of inspiration that we didn't get a chance to discuss yet that I, I live and breathe for. And it's trying to pull modern things into D&D. 
Um, and not in a way where you're like, okay, hey, all these orcs have cars, but in a way where you try to figure out a way to express a modern concept in a D&D world. So as a really simple example, obviously Vancouver is super mountainous. And when you look up during the night, you can see lights on the mountains, ski hills, or just those red lights from like weather stations or whatever. Yeah. And it occurred to me that that's super normal for us, but in a D&D world, that would be really weird. A red light on a mountain. Something would have to cause that and put that there. And you get so many questions out of what is it? So, you know, you can ask yourself like, okay, is this a world where there's always been that light? If so, what is it? And what happens when it goes out? Or is this a world where there's never been that light and now suddenly there's a light on the mountain? Okay, well, what is it? And should it be, you know, should we be worried about it? Is it a threat? Is it a, you know, is it something that's going to help us or hurt us so you can you know you can sort of force your players to go okay well do you want to go explore that and it's the kind of thing that you could use as a hook without necessarily forcing them like you're traversing down the road off to your right you see a blinking red light on the mountain carry on yeah or like you use something like like the thing that came to mind while you're talking was the statue of jesus in rio de janeiro just like a giant statue on top of a mountain so that no matter where you are in the city you can see it and i mean it feels weird after talking about a statue of jesus but to me the idea was the idea that came to mind was like that was the statue of a conquering emperor Mm -hmm. and they can't tear it down now because it's too big and if it falls it'll destroy a giant section of the city what kind of like how does it feel to live in a city where like there's a constant reminder of throgar the terrible yeah Yeah. no yeah 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 okay but imagine the whole thing is hollow and there's a like a dungeon in it (laughs) seriously and it's like some wizard has made it his lair and he's like all right i'm gonna bring throgar the horrible back from the dead and you're like can we not and that's like the adventure is trying to find that or some guy is up there like i'm gonna topple this screw you and the whole adventure is no you're not Oh, and now I'm just imagining they bring him back from the dead and he inhabits the statue. And then it's like Ghostbusters 2. Oh, God. <laughs> but hopefully less terrible. <laughs> um, but something I've been thinking about a lot is uh, the concept of honor theft, which is basically like, it's kind of a it's kind of an American thing because they're a little bit more military than we are here. But basically, honor theft is like dressing up in military uniform that doesn't really belong to you, especially if you, like... Yeah, Reply All didn't yeah, notice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, especially if you're accentuating it with, like, medals and stuff that you definitely didn't earn. Um, so people will do that because people give a lot of attention and, like, respect to military people. You know, so you go out on the street wearing your fake uniform and people come up and they're like, oh, hey, good, you know, thank you for serving. You're such a great guy, yada, yada. So people will they'll sort of do that to, like, pick up on that on that undeserved honor. And there's also this like sep- like a smaller subculture of people who go out and like confront those people and they film it and they'll put it on YouTube. But the problem is that some of the people they're confronting actually did earn their uniforms and their medals. Yeah, so, they're wearing... Because a lot of, if I recall correctly, a lot of how they spotted is something about the uniform was wrong or yeah. incorrect. But some of these people are veterans of worse longer time ago when the uniforms were different or they just are using their uniform differently you know maybe they didn't feel like putting on their full whatever today yeah so you get instances where people are like confronting actual veterans and accusing them of of lying and stuff like that and i just thought how fantastic to steal that for a DD game you've got a, a militaristic country your pcs are heroes and some fuckstick comes up to them on the streets and was like you were never at the battle of orc hollow and now they have to deal with that. They have to deal with this accusation that they're, you know, that they're liars or that they're cheats. And I guess my, my question there is, is 
it's one of those things where like I can see that being an interesting moment. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if you don't handle it well, it turns into just a. I saw this thing on YouTube. We're gonna do a single scene. Cool, mm-hmm. we did it. I had fun, mm-hmm. and the players are just like, wait, why, why, yeah. why? Well, that adds texture, though. It does add some texture. I mean, I it's not really fully developed, but I think yeah you could get some mileage out of like even ha- like first having the PCs encounter someone who is committing like actually doing honor theft and then seeing someone confront them and then being like yeah you do it you you help us and then themselves being confronted and being like well hold on a second what the hell and i don't know maybe these maybe the people who are doing the confronting are doing more than just confronting you know they're taking something away from the people that they're confronting they're- or they're trying to like ferment rebellion or something yeah but it, it is one of those things that and i think this is the thing when you get ideas when you get inspiration and you want to bring it into a game especially if it's smaller things where it's mm-hmm. not you're not laying out an entire campaign you just want to do something for a couple of sessions mm-hmm. you have to you have to lay the groundwork because you can't just lead your pcs along by the nose totally. You'd like if you put something down, and this is kind of good advice for like whatever you're doing, is mm-hmm. that you can't just force, you can't railroad your players. Um, no. You, you have to tempt them and make them want to walk down those railroad tracks. It's true. And like when you're putting anything in your game, you always want to ask, like, what are my PCs going to do with this? Like, how is this going to be interesting to my players? What can they, what can they bite off here? Or is this just something pretty on the wall for them to look at? Or is this actually like a thing that they can touch? So, I mean... You know, I haven't got a huge amount of work on that idea, but I don't know. I think you get something tasty out of like a military style campaign like that, you know, where it's very big on on military honor and military, I don't know, and then something like that happens. You know, yeah, something yeah. like that happens or, or... I think I think the tricky part there is, is laying the groundwork so that the, the, the players know that their characters are going to be proud of their service yeah, and, yeah. and like laying all that groundwork so that... When that event finally does happen, they're like, no, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then that becomes the, you know, the turning point where they want to turn around and go find that guy or figure out what he's up to or something, you know. So speaking of podcasts and ideas from podcasts, I've been listening to Sawbones, which is a medical history show, which mostly focuses on the weird or stupid ways we've tried to fix problems throughout the years. And it's like something like that can also give kind of interesting texture to the world, like say like try and figure out an equivalent of roughly when the time is and be like okay i want to use like a snake oil salesman kind Mm. of thing how do i do that how does that work in a world where there is already clerics and there are healing potions and stuff like that there are actual potions i mean i think the easiest way is to say like to have somebody be a fake cleric and they're selling holy water for you know a highly discounted rate so i was listening they have an episode episode on resurrection Mm. and they're talking they basically started talking about how when people started figuring out that electricity could affect the movements of like living or dead things and like how this one guy basically animated a corpse in the streets to show off to people Mm -hmm. using electricity and people were like oh my god he's like raising the dead and stuff like that and like you could take an idea like that and put in a fake cleric or someone who's Going on about how, oh, soon this ability won't only be limited to those touched by the gods or Mm -hmm. whatever. But, like, finding things like that that have interesting information about the past and, like, transplanting that stuff into your game can be really interesting. It makes me think of, like, looking at the history of con men could Mm -hmm. be a really fun vein to mine because... There have been, like, all throughout history, there's been con men, whether yeah. it's, you know, snake oil salesmen or people selling fake relics, fake saint bones. Yeah. All kinds of different stuff and trying to, like, take people for all they're worth that it could be really fun to have 
the antagonist or the group of antagonists be these people that aren't out to rule the world evil. Yeah. They're just a Dicks. blight on this country because they're, you know, they're yeah. a bunch of shit sacks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like have villains that are, the stakes aren't so high that it would be irresponsible not to cooperate with the players. I like the idea of having slightly lesser stakes because then you can run into an NPC and be like, help me. And the NPC's like, nah, these guys are paying me. And you're not like, well, if you don't help me, Voldemort will end the world. It's like, no, if I don't help you, Voldemort will pay me and I like money. So you you have that kind of like, it's not totally crazy for someone not to help the PCs, which I find is kind of a problem when you're when you're doing such like big epic world ending stakes. It's like, well, even if you're a huge asshole, why wouldn't you help? Because you don't want the world to end. Probably. Yeah. So I think we have one last question for you. But first, is there anything else you'd like to say about using inspiration? Any like quick notes or tips or anything like that? Just try to expand your the things that you listen to and the things that you read and, and experience. Look for stuff that is that talks about different topics or interesting topics. Um, there's plenty of podcasts out there that do generalist things or you know sort of shine light on things that you wouldn't necessarily have seen reply all is great for that they do all kinds of random stuff uh sawbones sounds like it would be fun i've never listened to it but gm word of the week uh the angry dm puts that out uh, along with fiddleback every every week and that is fantastic i'm sure true Um, crime stuff would probably be really useful in building like a mystery or something like yeah um and i mean gm Word, word of the week is fantastic because it takes a word and takes you on a journey through that word in relation to D &D. so you might get an entire history of how devas came to be in DD as monsters and it's super inspirational for that 99 percent invisible you know they pick up on on stuff that you wouldn't see design aspects that you might be able to pull into your game um there's a website called atlas obscura which is all places strange natural places weird buildings that people have built huge fantastic trove of information just weird pictures and weird places um, and I've also been hitting the uh, unusual articles list on Wikipedia lately, and just a treasure trove. Downloading GM Word of the Week as we speak. <laughs> yep. It's so good. It's so good. So, uh, Ange, one last question then. What's something that you know now that you wish you could kind of go back in time and tell yourself when you started, you know, pulling inspiration for games? Uh, stick to one thing at a time. Definitely. I have a problem where I do one idea and then I see something else that sounds really cool and I'm like, oh, I'm going to put that in my game right now. And then I see something else that's really cool and I'm like, oh, I'm going to put that in my game right now. So I lose focus and I go, I ping pong all over the joint. Um, So if there's one thing I could grab myself by the throat and sort of whisper gently and say no, uh, it would be stick to one thing. So if you have an idea for whatever it is, a quest to transport some goods and deal with Snorlax, just do that. Just deal with that and then get that out of the way and then move on to the next idea. Don't try to do Snorlax, but also in a world where there's orc intellectuals and also at the same time your PCs get the procrastinating rock when they rescue the guy from Snorlax. So, you know, like just pick one thing and just do it clean and good and then move on to the next thing. And there's nothing wrong with having a backlog of ideas for future totally, campaigns. Totally. Because not everything is is necessarily going to be suitable. And some stuff you'll kind of look at and go, ah, oh, it's a great idea. And then you'll look back and go, no, it wasn't. And so there's no, you know, there's no harm in just sticking it in your slush pile and playing around with it. And, you know, there's nothing wrong if an idea doesn't work out. Yeah. If you have different players next time around, you can always try and repurpose it in a way that actually works or whatever. Okay, uh, Dan, thanks so much for coming. Absolutely, it's been great. I've definitely got some ideas for stuff coming up in the future. (laughs) Yes. 
Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Our logo and other artwork is done by the wonderful Haley Boros. Our theme music is Overworld by Kevin McLeod. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DMs of Vancouver, all one word. We'd love to hear from you folks about topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Lastly, if you want to help us out, we've got a Patreon account where you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Each little bit helps, and all the money will go to making this podcast as awesome as possible. See you next time, folks. Roll for initiative!